It's time for The Bright Side, a coaching radio show sponsored by P-Link Coaching Center for Excellence. The purpose of this podcast is to encourage, inspire, and educate clients to live and lead as their most authentic, creative, and empowered selves. To bring P-Link coaches into your organization, visit their website at plinkcoachingcenter.com and click the Work With Us button on the homepage. And now, here is the host of The Bright Side, Alexis Robin, executive coach and co-founder of P-Link to bring you 10 minutes of insight, theory, and actionable tips to support you on your journey to becoming the best version of yourself. Good morning, this is Alexis Robin. And today on The Bright Side, we're going to be talking about five things you are doing to reduce your team's performance. And this is directed towards leaders, um, people who are managing other folks, um, have direct reports. You might manage managers. You might manage um, employees. It doesn't matter. But um, I want to take you through five common mistakes that leaders make that really hinder the performance of the group. So... The first thing that you may be doing to hinder or reduce your team's performance is to fail to ask their opinion. People want to be heard, people want to be seen, and they want to um, add value and share their opinion. And while it may be faster to go it alone, when you don't ask people's opinion, you spend a lot of time on the back end convincing them to go along with your idea versus spending a little time up front, which may sound feel like it takes longer, but actually creates more buy-in in the end. So Pat Lencioni, who wrote Five Dysfunctions of a Team and Naked in the Boardroom, quite a few others, um, talks about how people have to weigh in in order to buy in. So being able to ask their opinion, get their ideas. Who knows? Someone on your team might have the next best idea for improving operational excellence. So um, so be sure to ask their opinion. Now, how do you do this? A lot of people... Um, They say, oh, it takes too long to ask people's opinion. They never get back to me. So the key is, is that when you're asking for feedback, you want to give people a deadline and you want to say like, I need this feedback by Thursday. If you have a chance to weigh in, great. If not, I'll just, I have some ideas already. So you give them the option. If they choose not to take it, at least they've had the option. The second thing is to give explicit details on what you're requesting in terms of feedback. So sometimes, um, you may ask like, hey, can you take a look at this report and tell me what you think? Well, that's not really helpful in terms of explicit understanding of what you want from them. Do you want them to check it? Do you want them to proofread it? Do you want them to check it for content? Do you want them to check it for flow to make sure all the ideas run together? Do you want them looking at it from a standpoint of like, what have I missed? What else would be important to add in here? Do you agree with my opinion? Um, so you definitely want to give explicit information to people that you're asking in terms of like, how do you want them to look at it? So um, in terms of collaborating, get explicit, give specific feedback in terms of what you're looking for, and ask people's opinions. You don't always have to listen or use people's opinions either. That's another fear that comes up with this one is like, well, what if they have an idea and then I don't use it? Then won't they be more disappointed than if I never asked in the first place? Um, The answer is no, especially if you go back and you explain to them that you gathered seven different opinions and this is the one you've decided to go with after careful reflection and you appreciate and value their time that is um that's going to really help kind of ease that you know ease that message or um the communication back saying hey we didn't pick your idea 
So that's the first one. Failing to ask people's opinions really starts to reduce performance. Second thing that reduces team's performance is letting your own lack of self-awareness get in the way of your team's performance. So one of the things we talk about a lot at P-Link is this idea that the organization can't ascend the consciousness of the leader. And so if you've got a hang up or you are afraid of failure, you're afraid that you're not good enough, you're afraid that um, people are going to reject your ideas, then you may be the bottleneck for others. You may be sending implicit messages that say, hey, um, I'm afraid to share my ideas and therefore you should be afraid to share yours, which then sends an implicit message sometimes that says, hey, I don't have confidence in your ideas or I don't have confidence in you. And these these small implicit messages uh, can often be subconscious. You don't even realize you're doing it because it's your own blind spot, but it can destabilize people's confidence in your organization. And when they have a lack of confidence, it becomes much harder for them to come up with innovative ideas, to creatively problem solve under pressure. They start questioning themselves because uh, they're watching you question yourself or you question the team. And so what I would say here is that um, if you've never done any leadership development, if you are not somebody who sits and is mindful and reflecting about how you are operating, what your unexamined assumptions are, what your limiting beliefs are, then I would spend some time looking into this. Just sticking in here. You can do this by hiring a coach. You can also do this by reading some great leadership development books. Um, you can do it through self-reflection, just getting quiet, thinking about how did I handle that situation? What came up for me? What was at risk for me in that situation? That can help you unearth some of the um, kind of deeply seated assumptions that you operate under. Uh, if I take my foot off the gas, everything will fall apart. Um, if I slow down even a little bit, the um, we'll lose ground and get passed, passed up by somebody else by competition. You know, all of these assumptions you want to be really considering uh, because you're, if you're the leader and you are stuck here, then people cannot in your organization, they can't ascend above that. They can't um, grow to a higher level of consciousness um, with you at the helm. So be thinking about that and how you can be checking in on your own um, thought patterns and how they might be getting in the way. The third thing that people do to reduce team performance is to allow ambiguity in the vision or of your organization or for your team. So um, when you get really clear on vision, like here's what we're doing, here's where we're trying to go, here's what should be different if we are successful at doing the work that we're doing, that helps to set clear direction for your team. And it answers questions when there are um, people jockeying for resources within your organization. Perhaps you have only 80% um, of the funding to do, or you have funding for only 80% of your projects. And there's gonna be some people whose projects have to take a back seat. Well, if the vision is clear, you can ask, which of these projects will get us to our vision? And which might just kind of help us along the way? So choices around where to allocate resources and what the team's focused on become much easier versus kind of personal 
piece where maybe somebody thinks, well, I didn't get funded for that because they don't like me or they don't like my ideas. Um, it can be very clear, like, no, this is the vision and your idea doesn't help us get closer to the vision. So we're not funding it because it doesn't make sense. Um, that is, that's a much easier message to carry and makes more sense than just, um, allowing the team to fight over what they get. So getting really clear on the vision is important um, to keep team's performance up and allowing any ambiguity in that really can start to slow your team's performance down. The fourth thing that leaders do that impede their team's performance is that they ignore bad behavior. I see this a lot. I see people who maybe have a lot of competence in something or who have been around for a long time um, getting away with things or getting, you know, leaders will call me and we start thinking of what's a plan? How do we manage this person? And all of a sudden there's like new reporting structure and there's all these band-aids that are being in place to kind of manage bad behavior rather than just tackling it head on. And the thing is about bad behavior is everybody sees it. And oftentimes as leaders, we're under the impression that, you know, oh, just we see it and not everybody notices it. So if we just put this little thing into place or we have this person who doesn't like that other manager report somewhere else, like it's all going to get better. But the reality is everyone sees that person getting away with bad behavior and that really deflates people. And um, it makes it frustrating for the people who are doing things in, in integrity or doing things the right way or the way that you've asked them to. So hold people accountable, set boundaries, and be very explicit about what you're looking for in terms of what's okay and what's not okay. Uh, and that'll allow you to, if you do that up front, those conversations then become much easier. Hey, Sally, you know that our expectation is that you keep your meetings to an hour or less, that you send out an agenda ahead of time, that you only invite people who you think have an impact, uh, and who really need to be there, and your meetings are now going for two and a half hours, and they don't have an agenda, and you're inviting, you know, half of the management staff, and that's not okay. That's not what we agreed to. So get out in front of that. Hold people accountable. Set boundaries. And then the last thing that leaders do to reduce a team's performance is that they drive themselves excessively hard. So if you're working super long hours and you're never taking any vacation time off and you, um, you're modeling this kind of like 80-hour work week and no lunch break and never doing anything for yourself, um, then your team gets a message that says, hey, I should be working that hard too. And that can, maybe you thrive on being super busy and maybe you don't have to worry about, you, know, you don't have a lot of stuff that you're having to do outside of work that this really fills your buckets. And so you like to be there a lot of time, but it does create an environment where others feel like they have to keep up with you. And that can lead to burnout. Um, it also, when you're not taking time off and you're not taking time to restore, you are allowing yourself to get into a zone where... You could definitely um, lose focus. You can lose the ability to creatively problem solve. We need that time off. We need that white space to really think and to reflect on what's going on and to come up with new ideas, new ways of thinking. If we don't take that time and we're just go, 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 go all the time, we stay in a space of constant stress. And that's not good for our bodies. It's not good for our minds. And it's certainly not good for our families and friends um, when we go home. So if you want to increase your team's productivity, follow these um, 
these quick five things. Check yourself on these five things and, uh, you know, ask people's opinions. Check in on your own self-awareness. Grow yourself as a leader. Get really clear on your vision. Hold people accountable by setting boundaries. And even if you like to work a lot, do it in a way that creates space for your team to take time off and to take time to reflect so that they don't feel that they have to work excessively hard. So this has been Alexis Robin with The Bright Side. I hope you guys have a great week, and we'll see you next week, same time, same place.